0: Another great day at Google. So I, want to w- I have this strong memory from Barack Obama's first presidential campaign. It was November of 2007, and Obama was speaking to a rapt audience of Google employees in Mountain View, California.
1: Thank you, thank you so much.
0: One it was the kind of optimistic message we heard a lot of back then. Know
1: that the Google story is more than just being about the bottom line. It's about seeing what we can accomplish when we believe in things that are unseen, when we take the measure of our changing times and we take action to shape them. And that's why we're here today.
0: Tech was the key to a better future, a way to innovate and disrupt, and to give Americans more tools to connect directly with their government. Together, we could open up the government and invite all
1: citizens in while connecting all of America to 21st century broadband.
0: And now, all that feels like such a long time ago, even though some of the players from that administration are about to come back into the next one. It's
1: such a worthwhile exercise to go back that far because the climate was so different.
0: That's Cecilia Kong. She's a tech reporter for The New York Times. She reminded me that Obama didn't just visit Google when it came to his administration's embrace of technology.
1: He actually also held a town hall at Facebook. He had a fundraiser at the home of Mark Benioff of Salesforce.com. He had dinner with all these tech CEOs, including Steve Jobs and Eric Schmidt of Google at the time. But the framing was so different then, which was, wow, Obama gets tech. And this is a really positive thing.
0: Cecilia's beat is tech policy. And this week, she's been thinking about what to expect from a Biden administration in this watershed moment for the industry. I have
1: no doubt that the Biden administration will be much more aggressive than the Obama administration.
0: Both parties think big tech is too big and has too much influence over how we live our lives. But that's just about the only thing they agree on. So if you're Joe Biden, what do you do? Do you listen to the progressives in your party, like Elizabeth Warren, who want to break up the big tech companies, or the moderates who want something less drastic? And how do you work with Republicans who say tech companies are biased against conservatives? Today on the show, Biden and big tech. We talk with Cecilia about what the president-elect wants to do, who's advising him, and how Silicon Valley is already pushing back hard. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you.
0: There's an idea in political coverage that if you really want to know the agenda of a candidate or president, the best place to look is at the people in their inner circle. Which is why I asked Cecilia about one of Biden's main tech advisors, Bruce Reed.
1: He was Biden's chief of staff during the Obama years. And he has, in recent years, worked at a child advocacy group called Common Sense Media And Common Sense Media is fascinating in that they have been really like one of the biggest antagonists of Facebook these days. They've been on the forefront of a campaign called Stop Hate for Profit. And it's a campaign to get advertisers to essentially leave Facebook until it cleans up his act and starts to rid the site of disinformation and toxic content. And it's backed by people like the the actor, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, I see him tweeting about it a lot. Yeah, and they're all working together, lots of different groups. The ADL is part of this. There are a lot of different groups behind this effort. And the other thing that Bruce did um, in recent years is he was at the forefront and very involved in the formation of California's privacy law that was enacted in 2018. So he knows legislation around tech and he understands it on the state level, on the federal level. And he comes from a point of view that believes that there needs to be restraints. So he's a fascinating person to watch and that he's informing and very much directly in the ear of Biden.
0: Next, you've got the people who will help get his government up and running. On Tuesday, the Biden-Harris transition team announced who would lead key task forces for various government agencies.
1: The thing that was really fascinating to me is that there was a mix of many people with experience from the tech sector. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have people who are coming from Amazon and from Dropbox, from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is the philanthropy run by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan um, and -hmm. other tech companies. That said, the people who are involved in the agencies that directly affect the tech industry, they're definitely not Silicon Valley people. They actually hmm. and they actually are very seasoned antitrust and consumer protection people in Washington who have a real depth of knowledge in policy. And some of them, including Gene Kimmelman, who is a advisor on the Justice Department task force was a senior official in the antitrust division um, in the Obama years. And he knows a ton about technology and antitrust. And he has been public about his position that there is a lot of reason to seek antitrust uh, cases.
0: Right now, the Justice Department is pursuing an antitrust case against Google over its search business. Cecilia says that in a Biden administration, that suit could expand to be even broader. And the end goal here could be encouraging for the liberal side of the Democratic Party that wants to dismantle these companies.
1: I I do think breakup is on the table no matter what with with any of these companies. Yeah, with any of these companies, because when it comes down to remedies for some of the companies, it's just it's hard to see how they can be restrained without dismantling them somehow. And I just think it's because it's undeniable that Silicon Valley is in this this odd phase where it's there's so much concentration of power and wealth that it's, I just think it's a, it's impossible for the Biden administration not to do something. And so like those people who are on the task force, like Gene Kimmelman, they are calling for strong regulation. They are hmm. calling for lawsuits. They are calling for antitrust lawsuits. They are. They are, and I don't think you necessarily would have seen that, four years ago in that not that they themselves were not in that position, but there was not as clear of a case. This is such a bad cliche, but the genie's sort of out of the
0: bottle. We'll be right back. With any new administration, there's always this tendency to kind of go through a laundry list of priorities. But I want to try and look at them differently because we're still talking about a divided Washington. So I'd like to lay out what a Biden administration could do on its own and what it would need Congress for. When you think about their top priorities, what could they knock out through executive actions or through federal agencies?
1: I think a a real out-of-the-gate goal for the Biden administration is to address the digital divide. The one sort of tech-related issue that they discussed in their transition documents is the need for universal broadband. So you can see a lot of funding coming from the Federal Communications Commission and other places like the Commerce Department, other agencies that do have funding and money to just really like amp that up and make sure that the billions are out there to make broadband more affordable for people who may have it available in their area, but they can't afford it. And then also to get broadband out to areas where it doesn't even exist. And then I I think the Biden administration has the benefit of the bully pulpit and telling the telecom companies, you know, like, look, we're in a national emergency make your broadband free for two months. I think that they have a position to just really sway the private sector um, in this moment when it comes to universal broadband. That said to really make universal broadband a reality. And let's not kid ourselves. The digital divide has been like a two decade problem. Like it's tens of billions of dollars have been spent on trying to get broadband to every home in America and every administration, including the Trump administration and the Obama administration has failed. So what would that take to make that really a reality, like a permanent universal broadband reality? It's, I think it takes like a massive funding package from Congress. So like many, many things, all of that hinges on what happens in Georgia.
0: If the Democrats pick up Senate seats in Georgia's special election in January, that would give Biden extra muscle to be able to change tech policy. But there are some other things Cecilia expects him to do right out of the gate.
1: The Trump administration has a, an executive order on social media in Section 230, but it's all based on what the Biden administration would probably describe as all the wrong reasons for why they're doing it. So they would roll that back, this executive order. The other thing that they would do is continue and potentially expand the antitrust investigations and the, the, the orders and the lawsuits um, against the
0: big tech companies. Out of all his tech policies, Biden's stance on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is perhaps his most extreme. Section 230 shields companies like Facebook and Twitter from liability for what third parties say on their platforms. And frankly, it's key to these companies' business models. And back in 2019, Biden was asked about it.
1: He simply said, I think it should be revoked. He used the word revoked. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. So everybody was flipping out and saying, wow. If the Biden administration completely takes away Section 230 and this important legal shield, then where does that leave us? That leaves us to a flood of lawsuits, potentially, for hosting, like let's say Facebook hosted Alex Jones and Alex Jones told people, like this, you know, this, these are all true stories. Alex Jones was talking about how Sandy Hook was a conspiracy theory. As of now, you actually can't sue Facebook or it's very difficult to given Section 230. So this would just make those kinds of legal actions easier. And that will ignite a war um, in terms of lobbying um, from the tech sector. I think that's the one thing that they're the most afraid about.
0: Well, let's talk about lobbying, because when we look at the past few years, tech companies have really beefed up their efforts. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, when you put them together, they spent $53.6 million on lobbying last year. I mean, that is more than Wall Street. That's more than Big Pharma. So what do they want to get for that money? Because they're not laying it out without some real goals in mind.
1: So what they want to get from that is studying the water. I mean, when it comes to lobbying, it's pretty simple what company, why companies lobby. They want to protect their businesses from regulation. Or they want to attach regulation to their rivals. They are going to lobby very vigorously against data privacy rules that are too strong. They will say we're cool with data privacy regulation law, but they'll lobby on the details to make it really watered down and to make it very, very beneficial for them.
0: So this is winter is coming, but we just want to kind of shape it a little bit because we know we can't get out of the spotlight completely.
1: Oh, yeah. This is like... This is winter is coming, but, you know, we are going to ensure that we are the most protected in this storm.
0: One way the tech companies might try to protect themselves is by arguing for their value to America in this pandemic economy.
1: They will, in this very broken economy, present themselves as important jobs creators and important Mm. companies in the economy so that any regulation that curtails their ability to grow and to hire more people is bad for the whole country. That's going to be a messaging point, not in such blunt terms as I'm describing, but that's something that they're going to try to implant in the minds of lawmakers. And so that when the lawmakers are introducing rules, they'll always have that nagging feeling, oh, if I I sign on to this legislation, am I possibly cutting off thousands of jobs in my district back in Iowa or wherever it may be. So that's that's sort of the the calculus for the tech companies.
0: I want to talk a little bit about age, Um, not Joe Biden's age, but but the age of our laws. Right. The big laws that govern the Internet were written when I was in college, high school. Uh, I feel like every time we do a show on regulation and technology, we come back to this idea that we're talking about stuff from the 90s in 2020. Do you see any room for a real update to these laws? And do we need one?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Section 230 is a really great example because it was enacted in 1996. And interestingly, the creators of that law themselves say that it is in some ways, outgrown its original purpose in the sense that they think that they that it should be maintained and they, they think it should be preserved, this particular law. But they said, look, it was meant to help startups. But Google and Facebook and Amazon, those are not startups anymore. These companies are gatekeepers for really big things. Like they're sort of the choke points or the gatekeepers for commerce, for speech, for the acquisition of ideas through search. And so there's You know, once you start thinking about it that way, you can see how the unanimous thinking about these companies as too powerful really boils down to that idea that they have too much control.
0: Before I let you go, I guess I want to ask you about how all this applies to regular people, because these are these are nerdy conversations that we're having here. And obviously, there are things that, you know, big tech and their lobbyists are thinking about. But does it matter, do you think? In how someone goes about their day um, or if their kid is doing remote learning at home, if they're trying to, you know, use their phone to do a whole bunch of things, does this stuff matter? Is it going to affect people's daily lives? I
1: think back at the House Judiciary Committee's hearing with the four CEOs of the top tech companies um, this summer And they were talking about how Amazon as a gatekeeper for small businesses that need to sell on Amazon were extracting too much in terms of rent and their rules were too onerous. And it was just really hard to exist on Amazon's platform for for smaller businesses. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking like that actually is some of the most concrete examples of how Americans are directly affected by the power of these big tech companies. The other thing that some of these policies could do is to just push the companies to do better. I th- I think if there was more pressure on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, to just get rid of the disinformation, you're seeing so much disinformation post-election right now, just, just teeming on their sites. And I think just the pressure that there will be real punishment on the other side of that, I, I think that that will be a, a real relief for a lot of people who feel like they're caught up in such like confusing swarms and storms of of echo chamber discussion. And you don't know what's real and what's not and what's what's fake and what's not. And I, I think if there is a little bit more more rigorous standards on what is truthful and what is not, I think that will be a real relief for consumers.
0: Cecilia Kong, thank you so much. You're welcome, Lizzie. Thanks for having me. Cecilia Kong covers technology and regulation for The New York Times. And that is our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Have a great weekend, and Mary Harris will be back in your ears on Monday. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.